Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Mum Talk, hosted by myself, Emma Jolin, mum to Amandine, who was born in September 2018. If you are new here on this podcast, I share my journey as a mum from pregnancy to life with a baby, now toddler, sharing all the highs and all the lows. Not only am I joined by incredibly knowledgeable guests, some experts in their field, but also mums and dads sharing their experience of pregnancy and parenthood. As always, you can trust in mum talk to be honest real and informative and provide plenty of nod along and me too moments wherever you may be thank you for listening and enjoy being part of today's conversation Hello and welcome to Series 8, Episode 3, the second special episode this week for Baby Loss Awareness Week. Please ensure you have read the show notes before listening to the rest of this podcast. Natalie Lowe, whom some of you may recognise from Strictly Come Dancing, joins me today, now mum to a beautiful baby boy, Jack, bravely shares with us her devastating miscarriages. It was such a pleasure speaking to Natalie. She gives us an insight into a dancer's career, her life on Strictly, magically meeting her husband and planning a marriage in just three months and finding out she was pregnant with her first baby just before. On return from her wedding, she was told of her miscarriage, devastating news that started a downward spiral in her life. Five months later, on her honeymoon, she found out she was pregnant once again and history repeated itself. Natalie shares with us how she got through this incredibly painful time how and where she reached out for help. I hope Natalie and I's conversation today can be some support or comfort to anyone who has been through or is going through miscarriage. I will leave you with our conversation. So I am joined, of course, by Natalie, um, and Natalie is going to share with us um, her story, and I'm going to open it right up to you now, Natalie. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm from Australia. Um, I moved to England in 2009, um, and about five years prior to that, I was on Dancing with the Stars in Australia, so it kind of, um, I was really exciting because I'd done a lot out there, you know, with my family and friends, and it was just really awesome to be, you know, on on an amazing TV program out there, which all happened by chance, it wasn't something I went for, um, and I was really excited out there because, you know, I danced with lots of amazing people, sportsmen, um, actors and things like that. And I was very fortunate enough to hold the glitter ball up out there. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the exec producer came to me and said, well, Nat, you've kind of done it here now. Um, there's a big wide world out there. Why don't you try out for America or UK, USA or UK? And I just thought, I'm just going to do UK, hands down. And I just knew that I felt like this would be more of a home, somewhere where I could connect to, um, just because it's the heart of Borum. It's where it all originated from. I'm a Borum and Latin American dancer, for the best of you who don't know me. Um, and, yeah, I kind of got headhunted and came out to UK for eight hours and did a tryout for Strictly because um, I had commitments back in Australia. I came here, did my tryout, went back. And, oh, my goodness. Yeah, I got a call a couple of weeks later saying, we'd love to have you on, on Strictly. And, you know, it was a big turning point for me. I think my life just sort of took a turn for the better. I mean, it's one of the best programs in the world. It's in, like, 56 countries, I think. Strictly wow. is um, – 
it was origi- it originated um, in England, but there is uh, yeah everywhere else. I think it's called Dancing with the Stars. So um, yeah, which is amazing. And I did seven seasons here, I think, um, which was the most you know amazing thing in the whole wide world. I just loved having a bit of a pressure cooker on me every week by having to perform every Saturday night, being ready even if you're not feeling ready, just to feel like, oh, my God, this is it. You have no turning back now. I kind of really thrived off that adrenaline. Um, I mean, you had to because it must be intense. I mean, knowing the level of training that Ali went through for Strictly and, you know, she's not even the professional dancer. (laughs) It's insane what you guys do. It's so insane. Uh, You know, for the celebs to throw themselves in that kind of environment, you know, really take my hat off to them. It is so full on. It's full on for us as a professional mm. because we have to come up with the music, the choreography, the lighting. Like we just kind of have to have a, a mood board in our head and produce it. Um, but there's so many people working on your behalf to make your one minute 30. It's amazing you work it? so hard for wow. a whole week to do a one minute 30 dance. Uh, you're just really grateful for everybody else just like pitching in to try and make you shine, you know, compared to the other dancers and um, competitors. So, yeah, it is so full on. It's literally, I think I lived on three hours sleep a night. Oh, my goodness. About 10 years of my life. Yeah. <laughs> uh, being a mum wasn't as challenging because I'm just kind of used to like being a night owl and just living off no sleep. But I realise it's quite detrimental too in the long run. I'm sort of paying for that now. Um, but yeah, I did that for seven seasons. Uh, should have been eight, but I, I was off with an injury. Oh no! Yeah, I broke seven metatarsals in my feet, and Ooh. I just morning and I was trying out for with my new celeb for that season and. I was just, I was in tears. I was like, I literally can't walk. Like I was crawling to the phone to to call my, my boss and just saying I physically can't walk. Um, oh, no, how did you do that? Well, you know, so I left in 2009 and I've been dancing since I was three. Like it's mm. literally been my life. I My next door neighbours introduced me to it and I found an amazing partner when I was five years of age. And oh, wow. We kind of were just like this is so unique and rare to get such a powerful partnership at such a young age. And he was literally like the best thing ever for me because it made me find a love for dance. And for five years we were like representing Australia and travelling internationally at like eight. I was on my first trip to Taiwan. Wow representing the Oz in front of thousands of people. Like it was just this big bubble of dream. And um, so that that was pretty awesome. But I, um, yeah, I've just been dancing all my life, even through school. Like I, I would never really got into enjoying school because I was just, I just wanted to dance. Mm. Um, when I went into full-time work as a beauty therapist and a makeup artist. I did that for 10 years, but after, as soon as work clocked off, I was in the dance studio and just traveling every weekend internationally and um, did Dancing with the Stars, did Strictly, and in between that, I decided to throw in a tour around the world with a dance show called um, Burn the Floor, which was phenomenal. 
So once you finish a season of Strictly, there are many other options you can do. You can do another tour um, with your professional partner. You can do tours with the Strictly show. You can do the the live show that all the celebs do, which I think Ali did as well. Yeah. Um, so it's literally nonstop. And then we do sort of individual shows for um, corporate gigs and things like that. Oh, and my goodness. Because I left my family, I left – everything I literally just came here with a suit bag and my dad's shoes I knew nobody I, I actually knew a couple of people of my my boyfriend at the time um so I literally just like bunked in with them and stayed with them for five years I was just like hi can I just borrow it I can't and living with them forever so I kind of just put my head down and really wanted to just not prove anything to I, I guess I wanted to show mum and dad that I, I left them for a reason, my mm-hmm. family, my life. I didn't want it to be all the waste. So I just danced and I worked and I worked. I worked my body into the ground. I never said no to anything. I said yes to everything, A, because I loved what I did. It was my passion. It was my dream. It was what I knew. It was what made me happy. Mm. And then – it just kind of like there's this curve where you you do what you love so much but then you get into this state of burnout and then it becomes unenjoyable. Mm-hmm. It starts breaking down, although externally you look the fittest you've ever looked. Like you just, you know, we've got to wear quite, um, I would say skimpy. <laughs> <laughs> Costumes at times, but then it's balanced out by the nice, elegant gowns, which is more my thing. So you just think you're so exposed, you've got to be fit, you've got to be healthy, but internally you can't put enough fuel in your body for the amount of work that you're doing. Um, It's just really full on. Mm -hmm. And there was one year where I think I signed three or four contracts before I even knew what the show had involved. And I was asked to do this show one um, one contract before Strictly, and I was the only female pro in it. I did something like twenty eight dress changes in wow. one show. I was never off stage, and if I was, it was for a three second change. And you know, it was just a nightmare. I literally just there was nothing left, nothing left in the tank. Mm. Me mentally, emotionally, and I pushed. You just got to push. You just got, you know, when you go out there, it's like Dr. Floodlights. You just got to pretend everything's okay. And it's a real, like, I'm so grateful for my life and for the opportunities. But if I had my time again, I would definitely have maybe done, really focused on Strictly, done that to the best of my ability, and then maybe done one other tour or just done some small things along the way because I didn't give my time, my body the time to heal, to repair, to recover, to enjoy life, to go on a holiday, to get an injection of sun. You know, mm. being Australian, I really need the yeah. sun to make yeah. I just love it and I'm a better person for it. And I think everything felt okay for the two hours I was on stage. Like nothing else mattered in my life apart from those two hours. So I could justify everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I left my family. I really did so much, um, amazed, so many amazing things. But 
I ended up breaking my body in every possible way. And, yeah, sadly, it um, stopped me being on Strictly for that year. But the silver lining is I met my husband that year um, on a train. I oh, no way. be there. And we, I got on this train. I have a fitness company um, called Fit Steps where we teach people how to do ballroom and Latin American dancing in like a 45-minute class. So everything you see on Strictly, you can do in a 45. You could literally learn the waltz, tango, foxtrot, quick step, paso, samba, rumba, cha-cha, jive in a 45-minute class. Oh, my God, I bet that's so much fun. really great. Yeah, it's called Fit Steps. And we've got about 2,000 trainers across UK, so it's really – beneficial for anyone especially now in isolation when they feel they need to get out form a community find a community um find some people in the local area it is the best thing because you're getting fit and you don't realize you're getting fit because you're having so much fun mm-hmm. just started like dancing and um but yeah I had a conference up in Leeds um a fit steps conference and I really didn't want to get on this train um I was just still in recovery from my feet, from breaking my feet. And I did. I'm, my husband walked on that train and um, I was supposed to get on the 2 o'clock train, but I got on the 10 o'clock train, last train out. The, ten, the train was 10 minutes late leaving. He shouldn't have made it. It was just kind of this, like, amazing sliding doors moment. So although at the time missing a whole season on Strictly was like devastating and I thought my life was over it was really the time my life began and uh, yeah met, met, met James on the train so that was really special so it was just kind of yeah a massive t- turning point then so that's why I uh, I missed that season of Strictly but I'm looking back now it was the best thing that ever happened to me mm. And, uh, and again, it gave me a chance to recover and, and recoup and give me a bit of a, a new spring in my step and think, because at that point I was thinking, God, how am I going to keep going? But it gave me that energy to just do that little bit more. Mm. Um, and it gave me a few more years, um, which was fantastic. I, I really, really enjoyed it. And then it got to a point where I was like, Oh, okay. So I never see my husband and it's been a really amazing chapter of my life. I could stay on Strictly till I was 50 really if I didn't want to be a mum and didn't if I wanted my relationship to thrive and flourish and you know survive because of the time that I was away. Um, I really need to make some serious decisions and sacrifice um, my dancing for a new chapter of my life. So I had a chat with my husband and I just said, I think it's time we left Strictly and I really want to be a mum. My mum had me at 35 and at this point she was, I was 37 and I just always kind of said, oh yeah, my mum was, back then it was quite old, Mm. you know, 35 having your first. So um, and then I got to 37. I was like, oh, this wasn't my plan. I need to like, I need to have a. I just thought I'd have one by now. Um, but yeah, like I said, I could be 50 and, and still being on Strictly and being the happiest um, with the right recovery. And so from there, I um, 
it was funny the year I, I quit strictly, I was just like, I just want to do one more thing before I become a mum. I don't want to just have done strictly. Although I've done loads of things in the past, like my makeup artistry, my beauty therapy and dancing with the stars. Um, I just wanted to know I could just push myself that little bit more and do something like headline my own sort of show, which was amazing. It was called Rip It Up. I did that with Louis Smith and oh, Jamie Innes. I've heard of that. I've heard of that. Amazing. Amazing show. It's a 1950s show. And it was just literally like if I had my time again, I'd love to have been brought up in the 50s and 60s. It's just my favourite thing, my favourite era for every reason, the cars, the music. So I was like, right, I'm going to do this. And I did it, and it was the best thing I ever did. And then I was going out to Australia for my um, – for just every second year I go out and see my mum and dad uh, around Christmas time and my husband was just like should we just like get married while we're out there I'm like oh it's three months away like really I've got three months to plan a wedding he's just like well why not my dad wasn't amazingly well and no time like the present and I knew I was leaving strictly and I knew we could really focus on our marriage and just have the most amazing time together you know, as newlyweds. So we did. Uh, oh, amazing. Frantically going, how the hell am I going to find a wedding dress in three months? And um, yeah, I did in the end. Of and course it, you did, and I bet you looked amazing. Yeah, it was amazing. I literally, like, I rang a few different places, and I was like, I'm desperate, can you help me? And Suzanne Neville, she's just like, I can help you. Because <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I live up north. I live um, up in Cheshire, and... She has a shop in um, Wilmslow, and I always used to walk past the shop and think that I think that's my girl. Like she's definitely the one. So she said, "Come to London and try on a few different things." And I tried on like four different dresses, and she said, um, well, "What do you think?" I was just like, "I want the top of that, the color of that, the skirt on that, and the fabric on that." She was just like. Oh, <laughs> I like, I've never done that before. Let's do it. And she did it. And it was amazing. So, um, yeah, I uh, got my dress, jumped on a plane, went out to Australia. And I was out there just planning stuff with my girlfriend. You know, think of like 10 years I haven't been out there for properly. And it was just incredible. And then when I was out there, I found out that I was actually pregnant and it was just James wasn't out there at the time he was over in America with work and it was just kind of like oh my god this is like so soon I just I didn't even I think we didn't even we were just kind of like should we just sort of maybe start planning mm. and it, it just came to a real shock I think because I was um tra- I was on the pill for so many years like mm unhealthily for, for so many years and I was really conscious of that and I just thought it's going to take me quite a while to and it, I was off it for quite some time but I just assumed in my head it would take at least a year or two for it to come to life and and and, and I just couldn't believe it so um yeah it was it was nice to know that I was you know pregnant for my wedding and um yeah, it was just came to a really nice shock and um, then had the wedding, which was amazing. 
The only bad thing about that was I love seafood and I had my wedding oh, on you couldn't hunger. have it? Yeah. Oh, no. I literally had – I just love being on the water and James was like, should we do something really, really nice for your wedding? Like um, do a boat and do like an oyster station and <laughs> prawns and like fish and lots of Prosecco and champagne and – I was just like, yeah, let's do it. And we did it. I couldn't have any of no. it. No. Oh, no. <laughs> I was like, yeah. Every time I walked past that, I just avoided it because I was like, no. But anyway, um, so James had to go back to America quite soon after the wedding. Um, so we didn't have a honeymoon straight away. Mm. Sadly, um, on my trip back, I just realized that something wasn't quite right. Um I stopped over halfway and I rang James and I just said, could you uh, please just book me a scan appointment because I don't know, I just don't think something's not right here. And um, so he said, oh, God, I'm emotional. <laughs> he said, um, I've booked you a surprise scan anyway. I've booked you one. So there's one the day you get back. And he's really thoughtful like that. He's extremely caring and kind and um, he's a beautiful human being. I'm very lucky to have him in my life. And um, so I went to the scan and, yeah, it was just kind of a real, obviously, just the most devastating moment that could ever happen in your life. And uh, it was just kind of like, I'm not sure if it was, it was definitely the way that it, like the now not knowing that it wasn't going to happen was devastating, but it was the way it was done. I just think anyone in that kind of industry should just show a little bit of empathy, whether it's their like two millionth time that they've told that person that it's not meant to be. I just was just in shock and in every possible way. Um, and, yeah, I just kind of, you know, you just think, well, I did think at the time it was too good to be true to come off Strictly and headline the show and go to Australia and celebrate a wedding with mum and dad and the family and my friends and come back and just have a have a bubba. It's just like, wow, this is kind of like, it's just a fairy tale. And then, yeah, I mean, to, to have to deal with that sort of loss and grief when it comes to such a shock. And you went, I wasn't expecting to get pregnant so soon, which I'm really grateful for. Um, and I just felt empty and lost. And, it, yeah, my life kind of just took a downhill spiral from there for a really long time. And then we went on our honeymoon, I think it was about five months later. And I was on my honeymoon and I thought, oh, I'm not feeling quite right. I feel a bit nauseous. And I thought maybe I'd fallen pregnant again. And they did a test when I was out there. And the lady that owned the hotel, she was like, don't be paranoid. You're not. There's no way. Like, And I did a test and it said that I wasn't. So I just continued on having a really good time being my honeymoon. And, um, yeah, I ended up coming back and realizing I was, I was pregnant. It just didn't show up. Yeah. 
And um, again, yeah, history repeated itself, and it it, it was, you just it's just awful, isn't it? Like I can't really explain unless you've been in that position how just your world stops again and nothing else in the in your world matters. You just kind of you're living but you're not really alive and you're in the room but you're not really present. Like you just I just had this big empty void and hole in my heart and my head and my body and my husband was so so supportive like he gave me the time and the space that I needed to kind of just get myself sort of functioning on a day level the worst thing for me was I decided to um, not work for that year I wanted to start a new business I wanted to recoup my body recover I wanted to enjoy my family and James and my marriage so I really gave myself a big chunk like a a whole year to just start my wellness business and it just kind of was big tumbleweed and it just never happened I just couldn't find the confidence I couldn't find the self-esteem I couldn't find the energy I was just my defense mechanism just kept me in the kitchen, just cooking all day long, breakfast, lunch, dinner, snacks. Like it was just my way of digging my head down into something I loved. I'm passionate about cooking. I love food. And it was the easiest way for me not to think about what I had lost. And um, yeah, I mean, I did that for quite some time and then, about five months later, James is like, you really need to start doing something for yourself. You know, you're so used to being fit and exercising and yoga and Pilates and walking and all of that. And I just kind of, everything just stopped. And um, I remember going to a yoga class once. I sort of found the energy to to do something for myself so I thought right I need to do this if I don't do this now just when am I going to do it so I went there and then as soon as I walked into the change room this woman was just like oh my god she's like you're Natalie from Strictly and she just started dancing around the the change room going and I literally just wanted to curl up into a ball because you know, Strictly so loved, and I was on the show, I think it was for eight years, seven years, and people just expect me to be the nap that they know on Strictly, and they expect yeah. you to be up and nice, and I've never not said no to a photo. I've always stopped and talked to people in the street. I love people. I'm a people person. It's, it's who I am. It's I just I love making people feel happy and good and it was just kind of like I couldn't smile back at her and be like well I did but it was just killing me inside like I was like yeah that's me and I just thought I just can't be here I can't be that happy that people are expecting me to be I'm not ready and I just didn't give myself enough time to heal and grieve and My husband was like, right, let's go on a little holiday. So we went to Greece and we came back from Greece. I had an amazing time. And it wasn't until like five months later after my second miscarriage that 
it hit me. Like I didn't realize I was struggling as much as I was. I was, yeah, I just didn't realize. It wasn't until the day I got back from my holiday, my mother-in-law was just like, I'm just going to pop around for a cup of tea, see how your holiday was and you do a few things for you and James and I was just like, I can't see my mother-in-law. I don't want to see her. I don't know why. I was just like putting it off. I just think I knew that I couldn't hide anymore, that I wasn't okay. Like, so I left the house and just said, I just have to pop out for a bit. And I realized I popped out and I didn't have my keys and I didn't have my phone. And I realized I couldn't hide any longer. And I came home and She's just like, how was your holiday? How are you? And I just cracked. I just burst into tears and I just went, I'm not okay. I'm just not okay. I need help. I need help because I've been told so many times that what's happened to you is normal. It happens to one in four women. It's so common and I think I just put this barrier up because I thought I can't, I shouldn't be feeling the way I'm feeling because there are a lot of other people out there feel a lot worse off. You know, I've had three or four or six miscarriages and who am I to be so angry and sad and mad for losing two when it's like I just kept feeling like, I need to be normal. This is okay. And I just couldn't put that past me. I I needed to just go, no, accept what's happened, talk about what's happened, be kind to myself. And, you know, eventually I I did feel like there's a reason why some things happen. And I knew that in the future, because I felt so isolated, so alone, so just empty um I didn't know who to turn to who although I have an amazing support network around me like my sister-in-law and I'd be on the phone to my mum and dad in Australia but I didn't have to hide from them because they weren't walking through the front door and my mother and father-in-law and you know I see them all the time and it's just I think when people know if people know how you're feeling truly people will be more sensitive to where you're at and comforting and just they'll be they'll give you the space you need they'll be a bit more um aware and conscious of the surroundings that you're in and they'll give you the hug when you need it even if you don't say you need it and that's what I needed I needed to just be really honest with myself, not that I knew that I was struggling as much as I did until this this particular day. And mum's my mother-in-law said, right, let's get you some help. What do you feel you need? I said, well, I can't go to a group environment because I just, maybe being in the public eye, I felt that I just wasn't ready for bearing my soul and being that person. Um I should have done maybe looking back now because I needed a group of people around me to who was in similar situations. But I did go to a one-on-one. Actually, I went to the Miscarriage Association and onto their website. Um, it's miscarriageassociation.org.uk. And, you know, I was in that almost every day searching for answers and reasons and how 
is was it me what could I have done different you know you feel so responsible for everything that's happened Mm. and I just I yeah so they were helpful but they couldn't sort of provide me a a group in my area so I searched a little bit deeper and found child bereavement um in in Runcorn and I had a one-on-one session with them and she's just like just come back have as many sessions as you need maybe once a month I didn't need any more all I needed and the turning point for me was to talk to my mum-in-law someone really close to me that could understand what I was going through and then speaking about it to a professional all she said to me was if you're having a bad day, like recognize it, acknowledge it and be kind to yourself and live that day how you're feeling. Don't try and block it. Don't try and think, I can't be feeling like this. I need to be normal. Everything's okay. Like just feel the energy and witness it and let it go. And the more you keep letting it go, like kind of it's like you're eliminating all this negativity and Mm -hmm. angst from your body is kind of like is real great therapy for me I needed talking is therapy and the third turning point was actually talking about this in public like a month ago I I decided it was time I needed to help other people Mm -hmm. I really want everybody to know how common it is a that was the biggest shock to me You know, you spend your whole life trying not to get pregnant and you get pregnant, you, and then you, like I said before, I'm so grateful that I could fall quickly, but at the same time, I was like, what's wrong with me? I can't hold it. And so the, the, the main thing I wanted to come out and talk about was the one in four women. I really want everybody to know that because if you're in a bubble like me or you're in the workforce or... You haven't got, you know, a support network around you with loads of family and loads of women having kids. You don't realize, and even then, people don't talk about it. No. Do they don't talk about the 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 devastation that they're going through because you don't tell anyone until you know you're 12 weeks, and then it's that that taboo subject. Don't tell anyone you if you are or you aren't, and it's that threshold where. Mm. So shocked and scared to say anything. And devastating to relive. Exactly. And it's just, yeah, so I I feel like the one in four people that get it was just for, you know, there's a baby boom potentially coming and that's really scary for me because I just want people out there to know that, you know, it, it will, could eventually happen but you you just be prepared that it is common and it is sadly the way life takes you sometimes and um I pray that it doesn't happen for people in uh but it, it, it is and for me I wanted to talk about it as well because um the doctors said to me that you know I had to go through a third miscarriage before they would start investigating or to find out what was wrong with me and I thought you know I'm 38 I don't have the as much time to hang around 
to find out about my third, potentially fourth or fifth. So I did some digging and I went into the NHS website and I found out that um, there are um, early pregnancy units in your local area that can support you and help you and give you treatment throughout your pregnancy especially if you're over 35 and you have um, reoccurring miscarriages. So that's a really important thing I want to get out there if people mm-hmm. feel like, you know, they want to get um, some more advice or they want to get some medical help and support along the way. I was having some form of IVF treatment to keep my third pregnancy going. And I really, at the bottom of my heart, believe that that was one of the reasons I now have Jack. I had that support from St Mary's Hospital at the early pregnancy unit and it's just nice to know isn't it that you can have those scans and if something doesn't feel right you know you're not being a nuisance you know this is a life we're talking about here and if you can have that support you know have the examinations and have potential you know the progesterone and other things to sort of keep things going then I you know I would do it all again oh yes absolutely but you uh, had to go digging for that information did you feel like you had the support you needed from GPs and medical support when you were going through your miscarriages so I had um my two miscarriages in another hospital um and they were the ones that said you know there's nothing we can do you just have to be patient and you have to go through it again before we'll even give it a look in and there was actually <laughs> there was a nurse there and she was just like a little angel she came to me and she said i really think you should potentially um look somewhere else because there are things that people can do in other hospitals that can help you potentially get there and I was just like oh and that kind of voice in my head gave hope so I went and I looked on the NHS website and I was on it for hours and hours and hours and then I realized that I was in a category that could potentially help me you know, with my third pregnancy. So I went to my GP and I said, can I please have a referral to the early pregnancy unit in St. Mary's in Manchester? She was like, what for? I was like, well, I just want to get examined. I want to, you know, I just want to do everything in my power. I want to know I'm doing everything I can to make this work to the best of my ability. And I don't want to leave a stone unturned. This is this is what I want. And this, she's like, no. You, I mean, you just can't. It's not a thing. I said, what's not a thing? She's like, it's just not a thing. Like, <laughs> and I said, I'm terribly sorry, but would you mind going onto the NHS website? Like, I've researched it, and there's a section in there that says that I can actually be referred by my GP. And she went in, and she was just like, oh my goodness. She had no idea. I mean, really, GPs are amazing. Mm. They have to be like the angels for so many scenarios, mm. for flus, for chronic illness. For, you know, you just don't expect them to be specialists in everything. No, no. So, you know, it is what it is. But um, she was like, wow, here's your referral. 
and it's a really quite a long waiting list but I got there in the end and I was taken under their wing there's a lovely lady called Maxine there and yeah kind of one thing led to another and ended up falling pregnant I found out in Spain when I was going for work um I was in Spain I was thinking oh my god something's not quite right and I had to go to a chemist and get a pregnancy test in Spanish (laughs) I did it and I had to google what um embarazada meant I was just like what does embarazada mean am I or aren't I (laughs) it it was quite nice because um it was the beginning of, of um, my third go and I rang St. Mary's Hospital straight away and they were like, right, get in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We're going to give you some injections to take every day and some progesterone as well and uh, folate. Folate. Medical strength um, folate and uh, and. Yeah, I um, kind of, they were there for me throughout all of the pregnancy and um, Jack was, I think, under the placenta and so I didn't really feel a lot. I didn't have the pregnancy that a lot of women feel like the mother's moving and things like that. So a lot of the time I was quite concerned and obviously, you know, it's such a, for something so that should be so joyful is really it's not an enjoyable process it's just you're on tender hooks the whole time and there was a point eventually in the pregnancy where I thought like I've just got to enjoy this because you know I'm there I'm here let's make the most of it and stop you know thinking every day you know the worst so um I'm just really really grateful like I said that I can, that we could fall really quickly, but it is the devastating thing to have lost, you know, a couple of babies and it's just, yeah, I mean, to talk so openly about it is, is um, it's quite difficult because I want to help people but at the same time I'm really conscious that everyone's in different stages and it's such a sensitive topic and it was that was the scariest thing about talking about it a month ago I just wanted to be sensitive towards people's um, journeys Um, but at the same time if I can help and I have I really feel like the response from coming out was incredible Um, the miscarriage association you know they've had a lot more hits actually they needed to raise 25,000 pounds for the next 100 days because they just want to keep their helplines open. They've had 40% increase in requests and interest and um, calls because of isolation. People don't want to go to the NHS and overload the NHS. So we've basically, you know, just put a campaign out there called Miles That Matter and you can walk, run, hop, skip, do anything or just make a donation on their website just so people have that support system where they can go and pick up a phone and say, hey, I'm not okay or is this normal or what's happening? I need support. And I just I wished I'd done that earlier. I wished I'd picked up the phone and just said, just talk to to someone to listen and um but I got there eventually but I did feel 
the the PTSD was something I never expected to experience. It's something that you think happens, you know, for veterans or, you know, just in the war, you don't realise that you can get, you know, PTSD is a trauma and miscarriage is a trauma and sometimes labour is traumatic and you just don't ever imagine that that could possibly be what is wrong with you. And PTSD goes so unrecognised. I'm talking to a really amazing doctor at the moment specialising in, you know, depression and anxiety and PTSD and trauma and it's so common that it just goes by the wayside. People don't actually go to the doctor and say, I think I've got PTSD. Mm. For a lot of the time that is gen- generally the case. Um and that needs to be treated and recognised really soon because that's something you don't want to go for too long, for years and years and years because it's really hard to come back from. So. Absolutely. Yeah, that's that was kind of my journey. Um, you just, yeah, I just think I went from being so up in my life and my career, you know, performing in front of 13 million people every Saturday night, thriving, loving what I was doing, although exhausted and worn out, um, not just through Strictly, just because of my my schedule, mm-hmm. uh, to not being able to leave the house, like to just try to deal with this in my own way everyone deals with it in their own way it's just yeah everyone every scenario I guess is so different Mm. and for anyone listening who's going through it now or think they might be um, going through it now or have PTSD from miscarriage or of course birth um, is there any advice or what advice would you give to um, to those women um Again, the turning point for me was just to not bottle things inside. You have to talk about it. You have to recognize your pain. Your Well, I'm not telling people what to do. I just know what helped me. Mm. Just I felt like the whole world was lifted from my shoulders by to say I'm not okay is so powerful and I felt like I was reborn. Like, obviously, I had to go through the steps and still the days were traumatic and I'd still just cry for 24 hours at a time. And that's not going to go away instantly. Mm. Pressure that you put on yourself to be okay goes away because it's okay. You hear it a lot. People say it's okay to not be okay. It genuinely is. Pick up the phone talk to a friend, talk to a colleague, talk to a family member. Um, I'm really, I would love to know how people survive this, having to go back into a workplace. I mean, I didn't have that. I didn't have something to sort of take my mind off what I'd been experiencing. So I decided to take the year off. So I don't know if going back to work and talking to people or, you know, having to bottle it up at work would be an advantage or a disadvantage. I really don't know. 
And I just, I just think just definitely pick up the phone, talk, get some counselling, find someone in the local area, do a one-on-one session or do a group session, meditation, <laughs> eat well, avoid stimulants like anything that you feel is going to make you better, like drowning your sorrows in wine and any form of medication, just like heal yourself naturally. Um, go for walks. The I think my best medication was um, just before I found out I was pregnant with my third. I got a dog and uh, he was just kind of, you know, walking every day and that was amazing for me. I just had a little buddy. I had a little companion, something that brought joy into my life. I also think um, find something that you love, like do something you've never done before. Yeah, if it's a sport you wanted to do, like I started playing tennis. I don't really love exercise, like, but I do it because it makes me feel good. But, yeah, I started tennis. Just do things that are going to make you just bring some form of joy into your life. Although it's not going to feel like joy at the time, it will over time get better. Mm. I say exercise, eat well. Self-care is number, number, number one priority. Even if every day you feel like you just want to have a bath and have candles, do it. Um, I found myself just listening to every audible book. <laughs> under the sun when I was cooking so I was cooking being creative and eating well and listening to books it just completely I got lost in and that really really helped me the advocate for self-care because I didn't do it for so long on yeah. I had time when I was competing I never had time when I was a beauty therapist and working as a manager in day spas you know that the hours were crazy and I went on to dance so I never had time but you know when you're a beauty therapist and you're telling people to like make sure you look after your skin and yeah. everything happens from within so cleanse yourself and all of that I, I I did it but I never made the time for myself so you just gotta make the time wake up early go to bed early Absolutely. create that space in your everyday life Every day, just something, even if it's five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Mm. Yeah. And um, just a medical question that I just want to jump back to, if that's okay. For anyone listening who might be thinking they'll um, have a look into the early birth clinic and um, were you, did you seek their advice before you fell pregnant with your third? Yes. Yes, you did. I did um, because I didn't want to wait no. long. As soon as I was told by my the hospital that I had to just wait and see, I immediately started researching and digging and went to the NHS website and then they got me a referral. And thankfully, I think it might have been Emma, um, Maybe a, a, a four, few months, maybe three months or so, uh, maybe longer actually. I mean, I'm so sorry, I don't have the exact timeline, but it was definitely around three, four, maybe five months before um, after my my second, and then before um, I got pregnant again. 
but they they saw me it would have been a couple of months maybe prior to me getting pregnant and they said as soon as you get pregnant give us a call um i'd done all the tests and they were kind of aware of me and my everything that was going on with my body and where i was at so they had all of my history there ready and waiting so when i did Mm. support me knowing my history knowing the ins and outs and that yeah so I had I had their support prior to my third pregnancy mm. and I had it during all the way to the end amazing amazing, amazing. I didn't that. even I didn't even know places like that existed it's just these things that one of the biggest things that I found when I got pregnant was just how little education we're given. We're given so much education around don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant, don't get pregnant. We're not educated on anything that happens once you do get pregnant or how to get pregnant. Or And I think that's a massive gap in our education. I agree with you. I think we need to plan to get pregnant now. Mm. Like you and me, we have this thing, this era of we're all trying to be the best we can be. You know, women are more independent. They've got their own careers and it's amazing and we love what we do because we love feeling inspired and creating amazing businesses. And then it kind of just gets less of a priority to, well, for some people, for myself because I just met my husband quite late and it just kind of evolved naturally later for me and not earlier. It could have happened earlier, but I chose it not to happen earlier um, before I left Australia. Yeah, so I, I genuinely am with you on that. The education around pregnancy and the lack of education needs to be, I mean, can we do it in schools? Can we have that sort of facility? Mm-hmm where we we can just know more know more about our bodies and and know about the the time clock and you know if you want to have this in your life then we need to be kind of advised to think about it earlier because there's nothing wrong with having a, a baby late or trying late there's absolutely nothing wrong with that but I didn't realise the consequences of that. And, you know, sadly, women miscarriage young as well. It's not just an age thing. It's just it's a medical thing. Um, but it would be, like you said, it would be really nice to know more. Mm. A big part of our life. It's um, huge. Yeah, it's, Absolutely. Yeah. I, I was talking to a girlfriend a couple of days ago, actually, um, and we were chatting about, uh, you know, trying for um, second babies, and we were actually both saying that we now, especially now, we now know more people who have had miscarriages than have fallen pregnant, and just within our kind of circle of friends, the stats are higher than one in four. I know. I think sure. they are too. I genuinely think they are. I think you're right. Mm. Because, like you said, the it's more, unfortunately, it feels like it's going more the other way than, than the stats are saying. Mm. And, and no, do you think now, though, or do you think now people might be a bit more 
comfortable talking about it. Like maybe it's always been this way, but we just haven't really known about, oh, I don't know, the stats are the stats, so it's a medical thing. But but I also definitely think that, you know, we're, we're generations where we're starting to talk about things now. We're only really starting to get to know our bodies so much more, talk about our emotions a lot more and there being no, sh- no shame attached to that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think a lot of people are now willing and open to talking about it because they can see how much it helps. And the more that we talk about this stuff, the more that we get it out into the open, the less of us are going to feel so alone going through all of this. Absolutely. I think in general um, about wellness and and well-being, I think it's a huge it has to be priority and mm. we need to talk. I'm going to do a, a uh, Instagram live on Sunday nights, um, 8 o'clock, just bringing in professionals talking about health, wellness, well-being, like how to Amazing. be the best version of yourself because, you know, life's tough <laughs> and you just any, – any knowledge, any advice about how to make your day just that little bit better, how to educate people on um, everything that has to do to make our human bodies tick, um, whether it be mental – uh, physical Im- or emotional I think it, it's it has to be priority because mm-hmm. this is no dress rehearsal we've only got one no. life to to shine and and to put our best foot forward and even on the days you don't feel like it that's completely okay as well but the fact that you know that you're doing that because you can and then you can just jump back into being the best version of yourself if you like mm-hmm. doing the the earlier more often than the latter then you know things are going to keep going downhill but I just think we're so precious as human beings internally um first and foremost and and that's why I'm really excited to be talking about you know health and wellness and being really passionate about the industry for a really long time but also to to bring specialists in about um, you know, pregnancies and PTSD and, um, you know, mindset. So it's really, really exciting. Um, God, I'll be tuning in for sure. I will. I'd love to. Be awesome. Yes, it's really exciting, actually. She just sort of breaks down the brain and makes you realise you think, you know, the brain controls how you think and the negative self-talk and you just like, actually, that's not really what's happening so you just tell it to do something else and then you can you've got a choice to override that mm-hmm. and she helped me a lot throughout my um my recovery to from having lost my little angels so uh, if that that's why I want to do it because I want to help people just find little avenues to help them swerve their way out of this potential negative self-destructive bubble um, that can really quickly send you into a downhill spiral. Mm. And you have your gorgeous little boy, Jack, who's seven and a half months. Yes. Yeah. He's sleeping, sleeping so well. Honestly, I just, I don't like to say... (laughs) I think 
I'm going to get hate mail from every woman in the world. No. As a, a bubba that doesn't like to sleep. Uh, he's definitely like his daddy. Um, he, yeah, he's just incredible. He was kind of sleeping on his own from really early on in the piece. Amazing. Uh, I just didn't really like, I mean, I think a lot of people aren't going to agree with me, but this is kind of what helped me. Um, just Jack slept really well. I mean, obviously, God, the first sort of, what was it, the first few months, it was just like I was up like every sort of two hours, mm. um, which is totally normal. Um, but then I kind of just got him really used to sleeping independently next door and in the room, um, and he loved it from the get-go. And I don't have to do that transition process now. we seven months or six months where you've got to take him from your room and change the rooms over, so – He's sleeping really well, apart from teething and waking oh, yeah. up. I do, I do the dummy things. So <laughs> if the dummy falls out, I'll have to go and pop that back in. But I just like I put him down at seven, seven thirty, sometimes quarter to eight, and I don't hear boo from him until about seven thirty, quarter to eight the next oh, day. Amazing! No, please don't hate me, everyone. And then um, <laughs> no having... one's gonna hate you. Gosh, we're all in our own journeys. No one's gonna yeah. hate you. <laughs> then I put it. I feed him, and we'll have a play. And then, literally two hours later, he needs to go back down again for another couple of hours. He has about four hours sleep a day, like in between. Oh, he's. But I tell you, when he wakes up, he's so full on. Like, really? <laughs> oh my god, he's so full on. I'm like. Oh wow! <laughs> but I think he exhausts himself so much. He's just like, right, I'm out. Yeah, it's yeah. nap time. <laughs> so he's very black and white. Very black. We had a lot of troubles with the whole milk thing. We mm-hmm. kind of went through three different formulas. Um, my father has really chronic. He was born with shocking eczema dermatitis. Like he used to have to be wrapped up with bandages going to school oh, gosh. and. It was from the neck down, and he had cortisones his whole life to try and keep it at bay. So I was really conscious about, they say it's like every second generation, they get wow. that gene, that sort of eczema, asthma, there's a connection there. So we've just been really conscious about, you know, bringing foods in and just letting him try a separate food every day um, just to make sure he's not had any kind of allergic reactions. But, yeah, we got there with the milk eventually. Um, we've tried three different types of milks and he had quite a bad sort of rash um, a few months ago with I think it was just like heat rash and mm-hmm. stuff, a bit of prickly heat and things like that. You know, you're testing and trialling different moisturisers and all of that type of thing. But, no, he's been really good. And I find it really difficult in lockdown. Just you take it for granted not being able to just, you know, ring up your health visitor or go to the health clinic and just say, is this normal? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm doing Skype with my doctor. Thank God they were doing that. I'm like, Jack's got lumps all over his head. Like I was a paranoid, paranoid mom during lockdown. I was Googling everything. Oh, no, Google, (laughs) But that's the worst thing you can do. I'm just like, oh, my God, this is not great. What is this? Uh, I think my husband lost hair and went (laughs) completely. 
be grey because you like you are a hypochondriac. <laughs> but you just don't know, do you? Mm-hmm. you don't know. Um, I was going to ask you, with do you feel any anxiety? Any of your PTSD has come through to this side of motherhood with with you? Oh, great question. Um, I had, when the thought of coming out about my miscarriages drummed up a lot of past emotions, mm. which is why I was really conscious maybe not to talk about it because if I felt like that, I didn't want other women to feel like that. But at the same time, I felt, I hopefully felt that the, positive side of it would outweigh that kind of angst and negative sort of anxiety reaction for a lot of people reading about it Mm -hmm. um I was prayed for that anyway and I hope that that's what had happened because I went back into the miscarriage association website it drummed up a lot of feelings and emotions and I was reading other people's stories which you know turned me into quite a blubbering mess and you don't realize but even the miscarriage association said to me like now you're an ambassador like please leave us when you feel you need to because you it is hard to talk about it it is difficult to relive it Mm -hmm. to think about it all the time or to just Lots of different things um, can trigger that. You know, driving past a hospital can trigger it. Little things can trigger it. And, yeah, it definitely, it never, le- you, it never leaves you. It never leaves you. And when someone says, I mean, this might be quite emotional for people to hear, but when someone says, oh, is it your first? And you just think, well, mm. You can't go through and say, well, actually, no, it's not. You're just like, yes, you know, you're just inside. You're just like, no, no it's not. Um, and like every day, it's just life. Life is not, life can be cruel. And, you know, I just, yeah. So, yeah, it does every now and then. But the the, the PTSD, no, but the emotional journey and thoughts and you know knowing I could be a mum of three now um yeah it never leaves you ever Mm -hmm. I'll always have my I'll always have that in me thinking about that but I'm grateful that I have that opportunity at the same time to have that I'm so grateful every day to have Jack in my life so yeah. Um, how? Um, Little you see. <laughs> I think in this, well, with miscarriages, the men often get forgotten. How? How did your husband manage? So my husband's quite in control of his life, his self, his work. He's a he works for a medical company, he works in sales, his targets he needs to reach and chisel. You know, he has this energy about him that he has like this mixed Mr. Fix It 
fixes everything and if I have a problem or if I'm sad or if I'm missing my family in Australia or if I'm having a down day, he'll be the one to pick me up. And this was absolutely impossible for him. He didn't know how to help me. It was the most difficult thing for him to not be able to go, I can fix this because you just can't. And I really think the guys have a tough time. It's traumatic for them and men don't talk even more so than women. Yeah. So I think that's a big thing that we should speak about as well as men groups and just, you know, they can go to the pub and have a chat with their mates. Are they going to really talk about how they're feeling? Probably not, which is a shame. Um, I know James really struggled in, in that aspect. And delivery of Jack was, you know, really gave him a lot of, not anxiety, but he was just like, I couldn't get excited until Jack arrived and then I could see everything was okay. So it's a long process to mm. to not enjoy, you know, obviously um, we go through it and we have the emotions and the hormones, and but they absolutely go through it as well on, on just, I think, just a different uh, different way. I don't know. But that's the he's that's what he said to me. He just really struggled. He couldn't couldn't couldn't. Although he tried to make me smile and happy and took me for drives and things like that. You know, it, I think time is the best healer. Mm. Um, mm. And but, I I don't know of many um, or any actually men's groups. Do you know of any offhand or? <laughs> No, no, I don't. I was talking, actually, I'm really, really good friends with my physio and I was telling him that I was going to talk about this and he was just, he literally just broke down into tears in front of me. He's just like, that's amazing. He said, like, to see this from a man, the fact that I was going to bring this out to the public, he's like, I take my hat off to you. It's so brave, so courageous. Um, I'm happy for you, and I wish more people would talk about it. He said, I can't talk about it. He's like, it's too painful for me. Mm. The thing is, he said, it's it's the way people can't talk about it to you. Like, they know it's happened, and then it's like you're going through this silent grief. There's nothing to show for your grief and you know people just sort of forget and they don't say you know they don't know how to cope with people that have lost bubbers this is what he's saying to me so um I feel like if we can educate people on how to react to a situation like this like send a text um even if you don't get a response back send a text every week or, you know, just to let that person know that you're thinking of them. They might not be ready to connect to you, but it's really nice just to know that people are thinking of you and not maybe saying, well, you know, it's not meant to be this time or it's really common or just be like, I'm here for you. I'm here to listen. If you ever need me, Mm -hmm. pick up the phone like just that's it and I think that's enough and he said to me I just wished you know 
my mates didn't ignore the fact that it had happened, but I wished that we could talk about it more. So it's quite a difficult situation. I mean, I'm not a man. I don't really know how um, he was feeling, but I just thought that was a really interesting thing. And then he said, my mother brings it up all the time. And then there's just not that kind of comfortable balance. He said mm. it was really painful for him either way. But, yeah. So every, like you said before, everyone's going through their own journey, their own response to to it. So. There's no right or wrong. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. Oh, Natalie, thank you so much for sharing your heartbreaking but beautifully ending story with us. Um, I really honestly think that the message and you sharing your experience from literally the beginning to the end uh, will be just brilliant support for women out there who may be going going through something similar so thank you so much is there anything else you want to share um to those listening yeah I just want people to know they're not alone this is again you know maybe more than one in four people are going through it don't be afraid to speak up don't be afraid to share your feelings is normal and I really feel that you know talking about it is the best therapy and the best healer um and just to do it when you're ready be kind to yourself be be caring and and don't force it just let it happen but don't keep it bottled up forever it's not healthy and could you just share the website again to the miscarriage association for anyone listening who might want to um log into that it's a miscarriageassociation.org.uk. Perfect. And if anyone makes wants to make a, a donation to help helplines open, um, it's the same, miscarriageassociation.org.uk forward slash miles that matter. Yeah. Amazing. Oh, thank you so, so much. They do amazing work. They were there. They helped me out immensely, and I just think that they can help so many other people so thank you for absolutely hearing my story it's like so confronting when you talk about it um but it's it, again this is just another form of therapy for me so thank you a huge thank you to natalie for joining me on the podcast today and sharing her journey Thank you so much for listening. Next week, I will be back for a chat, a catch up, a Q&A. So make sure you head over to Mum Talk Podcast Instagram. I will be asking you next week what you want to hear about, topics you want covered and questions you want answered. And if you're not yet subscribed to the podcast, then please do go and hit subscribe. And then next week's episode will land straight onto your Apple Podcasts page. I will see you next week and have a great rest of your week. Bye.